Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And thankfully, this ball game's going to come to an end. But at least, Bill, we got a small sample size. Bulls ran some early pick and rolls with Booch along with Zach Levine. Booch finishes his Bulls debut with a 21-9-4 game. This game is over. That, of course, the voice, Chuck Swirsky. Alongside our guy, Bill Winnington. Yes, that game was thankfully over. I don't know, maybe there's a few more minutes left. Maybe they could have gotten back to single digits. But we get 48 of live game action to make it happen, and the Bulls did not last night. We will see what the future holds, though, as the roster continues to take shape. Definitely wanted to get some Bulls talk in in the four hours. So now that we are in the final hour and uh, Tony Gill has woken up from what I assume was a midday nap, he's able to join us right now. He is on the guest hotline. Score hotlines presented by Alpamani Ford. Alpamani Ford in Melrose Park or North Avenue or APFord.com. Tony Gill, take care of yourself, man. How you doing? It here. What is up, my guy? That was <laughs> awful the other night. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow! Yes, it Woo. was. That was not what any of us were anticipating there. Yeah, man. I mean, it. Uh, I, it I mean, all the excitement and and, and rush of uh, adrenaline kind of ran out in like the first, you know, five minutes. You know, and then we kind of went on with our regularly scheduled, you know, Saturday. But uh, yeah. But I, it'll it'll be better, man. So it, with that in mind, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to wait as the, you know, we reference the roster will continue to take shape. Daniel Tice will be on the way. He should be here in time for tomorrow's game. So with that in mind, one, one thing that still stuck out to me, I didn't, you know, the pick and roll, like as, as though the pick and roll is like this new invention, but the, the Bulls haven't been able to execute it at a high level because the pickers haven't been that skilled. And now you got the picker, you got the roller, you got everything that could really come together between Levine and Vucevic. I didn't necessarily see as much of that going for the – like the second and third quarters of the game, it felt like they weren't even on the court together that much. I wasn't sure what to make of that. Did you see as much schematically of the two of them playing off each other for a bulk of the game as you thought? 
Uh, I kind of figured, you know, with zero practice time, um, basically they just met and was like, hey, let's go be friends and play a basketball, a professional basketball game together is essentially how, you know, everything went. So you kind of had to expect the the sloppiness and the kind of still filling each other out. Also, on top of that, Zach Levine was um, hindered a bit with, uh, you know, with an ankle injury. So, you know, the explosiveness wasn't really there to kind of attack aggressively off uh, the pick and roll. He was a bit more passive. So uh, I assume they didn't want to put him in a whole lot of potential dangerous situations uh, with the ball, even though he did play. But there was a little bit of, of, of that there. But um, but yeah, I mean, schematically, it's going to take a while. Like uh, I mentioned in the when I was tweeting out uh, the game yesterday, look, the first week of the season looked like that game, basically. Mm-hmm. And then it got progressively better as the team kind of got used to the system and used to each other playing in the new system. So it's going to take a couple games, and I get it. This is a this is the final 28-game stretch uh, of the season. Um, and, you know, it, this is a tough schedule. And they want to make a playoff push. So on all of that mixed together with little to no practice time to get it done, it's going to be ugly some nights. And they're going to have to depend on – whatever talent they have available at full strength to compete in some of these games uh, where teams have already kind of are narrowing down their rosters and going into playoff mode. That's what the Bulls are going to be playing against while they're trying to get their own thing settled. So schematically it's going to look ugly, uh, but you are going to see more pick and roll chances and opportunities like you mentioned before with Zach and and Vooch uh, going forward. Let's take a step back and evaluate the the trade itself. Let's the the initial trade between bringing in Vucevic and uh, Alfaruk Aminu, but then giving up Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., a couple of first round picks. Did you think the the overall price and especially the the first round picks? I mean, one a recent first round pick of your own, and then the two future first round picks associated with it. Were, were you surprised at what the Bulls were willing to give up to get essentially Vuce? Uh, you know, I wasn't. Um, I mean, he was the only all-star traded in, you know, a couple first-round picks. It's kind of what it's going to cost you to trade for an all-star. Um, as we've seen in, you know, previous trades of, you know, potential all-star superstar players. Um, I think as we get to know this new regime, every kind of uh, uh, tempo date, right, uh, we get to find out a little bit more about how they operate it. What I learned with this trade was leading up to it, we were still kind of figuring out, okay, where, where will they begin? Where will they s- s- plant their flag into, okay, we start now. They, they made that decision with this trade. They're going to start with Zach Levine, where before and leading up to the season, it was still a bit up in the air. Did they want to move on from Zach Levine? Will they like to start over fresh with a brand new, you know, movement, youth movement going forward? They saw enough in Zach Levine to put their stamp on him and the future that he can have. At least, I mean, he's only, what, 25, 26 or something like that. So they said, okay, we have this all-star talent. Let's start with him and, and branch out. So that's what I learned from, from this trade. And they didn't want to do the young thing anymore. They didn't want to start over again with another 19, 20-year-old trying to figure out the league. They say, we have this bird in hand in Zach Levine. Let's 
build off of that and move forward. And then we'll do the player development things that they've been known to do in Denver, uh, where our tours came from and Mark Eversley and the Sixers, how they came from. We'll do the development after now we have two all-stars to build off of and around. So um, they gave up their future, basically their chance at a, uh, uh, future top pick but not really those picks are still protected so if this doesn't go well at all it's still top four protected those picks so they still have the slight chance if this doesn't work out to be you know uh, uh to have the chance to get a top pick uh but essentially they have made their decision that they're going to start their tenure with zach levine and uh, uh, nikola vucevic tony gill with us here on the score content generator aggregator, producer over at NBC Sports Chicago, multimedia sensations. Yes, yes, everything <laughs> on Twitter at the Tony Gill. Um, when they when they drafted Wendell Carter Jr., it felt like, all right, got a guy, ACC player, got all the potential in the world. Do you now that now that they have moved on from him and we've heard some of the some of the comments there from Arturis Kanishevis about increasing essentially the toughness of the team is was that sort of a, a direct I guess implication that Wendell Carter Jr. wasn't tough? I mean if you if you can make that you can certainly make that leap if if you want to. Um but it can be just in general, this group together isn't tough enough. So it can be an indictment on the entire roster that you guys as an individual may not be soft. But it seems like collectively you are soft. So I have to move, remove pieces from this roster uh, and add pieces that I think that can supplement that softness, uh, if I can put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. Wendell Carter is a, you know, he's a he's a good player, he's a solid player. I think he's going to be a solid player and a, uh, uh, a good player in the NBA. But it just wasn't working out here. Um, he was giving the opportunities. Uh, to see what he can do. I think they did do their due diligence with this roster to see what they thought, uh, if put in the right positions, could they perform? Um, And at least as of right now, they weren't ready to perform. Uh, And as I said before, with planting their flag with Zach Levine, who is ready to win now, who has shaped his game to win right at this moment, they got to take advantage of it right at this moment. And they can't be waiting around for guys still trying to figure it out um now they've they haven't traded kobe right kobe's still on the contract he's you know only a second year player they'll obviously address the point guard position uh in in a very near future but for wendell carter who is after this season is going to be in the same position that laurie marketing was it, it now is not the time to kind of figure out well can he play and and there's it's not the time for that now now is the time to figure out who's here who's going to be here for the winning and then we're going to move on from 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 that point. Uh, but Wendell Carter, yeah, I mean, he's he's a good player. He's a solid player. But as of for right now, this season, given all the opportunities they gave him, they said, hey, shoot the ball. That didn't work out well. Um, they tried to put him in positions to make decisions like that young. He couldn't do that well. Um, and then after a while, like the thing that he was brought in to do, at least baseline, was play defense. And he was just getting eaten up by now current Bull. Vucevic and Joel Embiid in the backup to Joel Embiid and 
uh, the Joker in Denver. Like, yeah. it, it just wasn't working out on any end of the floor. And then the confidence issues came into play. And once you lose that comp, your the confidence in yourself and in your basketball game, it's hard to retain that, especially when teams are ready to win now. So he's going to a place where they're starting over in Orlando. So he'll have time and room to figure everything out. But as of right now, for the Chicago Bulls, it wasn't the time anymore. And I've never, at least from from the perspective of Zach Levine and how I've viewed him and my evaluation of him, I haven't quite understand understood why it's sort of, I guess, taken this long for the organization to embrace him as a chunk of their their future, like their winning future that they're planning for. I don't necessarily know what's been missing from Zach Levine from what we see both on the court and off, why it hasn't been abundantly obvious that this is the type of player who maybe he's not going to be your your ace number one leader in a championship formula, but there's not a lot of guys walking the planet that have his combination of skills on the court while also possessing a, a demeanor that, that you don't mind trying to help build a championship formula around, too, and how he handles himself. Have I been missing something in the evaluation of Zach that's had this level of hesitation, I think, for, for commitment from the team and, frankly, from perception around town here, too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's tears in the NBA. We all know that. And the tears of players and how they affect the organization winning wise. As soon as this player shows up, laces up his shoes, are you saying that he's going to win us a game? He's going to win us the games, the most important games. Um, and obviously there's the tier one guys, you know, the LeBrons, the Kevin Durant's there's he's Zach Levine is not at that tier. Right. Um, the for sure guys that, you know, then there's the second tier, right? Um, the, you know what the, the Damian Lillard's like, I don't even think Zach is at that tier. Um, guys that show up that you know you're going to have a great chance to win the game. You don't feel that with Zach Levine. Uh, he's a great player. He's a great scorer. But he doesn't affect and hasn't affect winning. He hasn't been in the playoffs his entire career. Um, even at, in the last couple seasons, no matter what he has done offensively, it wasn't impacting winning in the ways that a player that you will automatically commit to should. Um, and that line is, is, is very blurred. You know, it, it, it was very blurred. This is his first year as an all-star. Um, I can tell you right now that I know Arturis wasn't really, really high on Zach going into the season. He, but again, he did his due diligence and waited it out. Zach showed him he's worth the investment. Now, I do believe now, even though they have two, two all-stars, um, they're going to need a player that's better than both of them to actually right. have a chance to contend. And that's how you know that, you know, the the weight to and see thing with Zach that you were uh, talking about just now, that's how you know that he's not that guy. When you know that, all right, this is a good starting point, but they still need a, a player better than both of those guys to actually have a shot at, at competing for a, a championship. And that's where AK and Mark Eversley are looking at. How do we compete for a championship? They're at a, a good starting point, but when you look at what Brooklyn is doing and what the Lakers are doing, it's going to take a while to get that player in, but you got to show the players and the fans around the league the Bulls are, are, are fertile ground and a fertile market for that one guy to come in and do that. So I think with this trade, they've already started that uh, trajectory with him. And that's exactly where I want to head next with you is the 
the way that the Bulls are perceived by potential free agents because they, for years, have spent time trying to draft their way back into, you know, being not just a, a middling sort of playoff team, but having championship potential, and they haven't been able to draft themselves into position for it. So now you acquire Zach Levine in the Jimmy Butler trade, and now you go out and acquire an all-star center. So you have two all-star caliber pieces. Does this make the Bulls more appealing? Billy Donovan is your coach. So you got a legit coach. Does this now make the Bulls, or at least should it, make them more appealing to potential free agents in the years to come? At face value, yeah. Um, I mean, you just seen these two guys play in an all-star game. Getting two all-stars is never, you know, a bad thing to have. Um, and especially with, you know, the contract situation, you haven't paid Zach yet. Um, and Vooch's uh, contract is is a decline over the next couple years. So that helps you as well. So you can do some creative things to get another kind of max player in there. So the numbers wise, they need to get creative and to have the room to get that first, which, you know, with if if you want to do it, you can make things happen. Um, so I'm not really worried about that aspect. Uh, the, the aspect that has impacted the Bulls for, you know, decades now in terms of uh, attracting free agents is, is the organization moving in the right direction um, to winning and to continue? Continual winning is is was the issue. Um, that's been something that has been uh, elusive for the Bulls in in recent years, if I can put it nicely, um, for a free age, for free agents. And this certainly shows the rest of the league that the Bulls are in a new direction now. This is a new regime. This is a new team. This is a new organization that future stars and superstars who are coming up on the free agents need to start taking seriously as a, as a possible place to grow their brand. I mean, Chicago's the number three, we know all the numbers, Chicago, number three market, the bulls brand is, is worldwide, but nobody has wanted to take that challenge and put their name on the dotted line to come here. Uh, but having Zach Levine and, and Vucevic doesn't hurt as a, as a starting point. Now the key is they got to start winning though. They can't be awful. You know, with two all-stars, like, you know, the Washington Wizards, they got two all-stars on their team now, but they're still awful. So they have to, they do have to do some winning. They have to show that, okay, if I I can be the final piece here to put them in championship contention, not, man, I got to do a lot of heavy lifting here. (laughs) (laughs) That's something that you don't want to present to a free agent in the media room uh, uh, when that time comes. Yeah, like, we're bad, but if you come here, it would be less bad unless you were just <laughs> amazing. Yeah, guys right. would come, show up, and feel like there's something ready to win there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before before we run out of time here, there was something I've discussed a couple of different times earlier in the show I wanted to get your thoughts on because up until the Eloy injury, I still felt like even with some of the, you know, some of the negative traction that the offseason for the White Sox was getting between the LaRusa hire and the reaction to that and then, mm-hmm. you know, the way the offseason maybe didn't quite meet the expectation some folks hope with, like they do a little bit more just to like Lawrence used the term bulletproof the roster. Mm-hmm. I still felt like, all right, White Sox, they're definitively the team that folks are most excited about, most hopeful about for this calendar year. Then Aloy goes down and the Bulls start wheeling and dealing. I'm like, I don't know, between that and the NFL draft is on the way, Bears got a first-round pick. I don't know. Like, is, is there – who is the squad you would say that right now Chicago sports fans should be? could be most hopeful about well it should well it should be the white Sox. i mean they're the closest team 
in the market to a championship. And I want to exclude the the Blackhawks because they're well, doing based, okay. Based for, on what? Yeah. Based off but, losing one playoff well, series? Who the, no, just based off of, one, the expectations that they have for themselves. I mean, the Bears the lost ex- a playoff game last year. They're just as close as the White Sox, are they not? Oh, no, no, definitely not. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> what are we doing here? No, but, in, I mean, it should be the White Sox just because of the, the talent that they have added. And, again, the phrasing of bulletproof their roster, obviously losing Aloy is a, is a huge um, uh, a huge deal that he was probably going to lead them in home runs uh, this year. If I had to pick a guess, well, I, take a guess at it. I told him that uh, first time. I heard him say it. <laughs> but I mean, they've luckily enough, they have enough bats out there um, in their lineup that still scare you on a day to day basis to kind of make up for it. And obviously left field, uh, you know, you can just kind of plug and play there if they do it correctly. But in terms of the amount of bats that they have that pitchers still have to see every day, I wouldn't want to play the Sox, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think out of all the teams in the market, the White Sox are the closest to winning a championship and I think deserves that type of respect. So Tony Gill, put him on the record. Hopeful for the Chicago White Sox, chief amongst all other squads in this town. I feel you on that one, my friend. Great stuff. Appreciate you, man. Go, go get something to eat. Don't just eat Pop-Tarts and everything else. Man. <laughs> I worry about you. S'mores Pop-Tarts, man, all day. <laughs> Tony, thanks, man. Talk to you soon. All right, see you, man. Appreciate you. He is on Twitter at the Tony Gill of NBC Sports Chicago, producer over there. You can certainly hear him all the time on the Bulls Talk podcast with that guy Jason Goff and Casey Johnson and everyone over there covering the Bulls at NBC Sports Chicago. Appreciate Tony's time and the time for all the rest of the guests we've had on the show here. Phone lines are going to be open for the remainder of the time that I'm with you up until 4 o'clock. So hit me up at 312-644-6767. We have been discussing White Sox. We have been discussing Bulls. We have been a little bit discussing Bears. I'm going to get into a little bit more with the Bears here before we get off the air here. But you can hit me up and we can get into any of those topics that your little heart so does desire. Even the Cubs. I referenced the Cubs a few times here for whether or not they are perhaps the team who, like, surprisingly, Cubs fans can still be hopeful about them. Who's the squad in Chicago that you are most hopeful about at the moment? Is it someone you anticipated or is it a squad you're even a little bit surprised by? We'll keep discussing that amongst other things here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. A little urgency to it, but kind of a, an emotionally fulfilling song, Sean Anderson. But I'm unfamiliar with this instrumental. What, what is that you're playing there? Uh, Crimson Tide by Destroyer. Okay, so Crimson Tide and Destroyer are two names that I would not have anticipated associated with that song. I don't, when I think Crimson Tide, I of course think Alabama. Uh, shout out to Lawrence Holmes. Um, so I don't necessarily view them as, as nearly light and cheerful and hopeful as that music would indicate. And then you said the Destroyers is the name of the group? Destroyer, uh, singular. Destroyer, singular. Yeah. So it's like Thanos is is on the keys there creating that, that tune. It's, all right, that is not what I anticipated hearing from the name of the artist or the song itself. But I did enjoy it. It did continue to enhance my hopeful mood that I've been talking about throughout the day here. And um, I did have some folks who, who had reached out in, in recent weeks, you know, just DMing on social media or whatever, just folks who are accustomed to 
hearing me on the station here, folks who are accustomed to seeing me on television around here. And I, I have, I've, I've still been doing my Sirius XM morning show uh, over on channel 372, Big Ten Radio. I do that on weekday mornings from 7 to 10. So I've still been doing that uh, pretty consistently. I've, I've had to miss a number of shows, even with those shows as of late. And I haven't been as available at the score here for a couple of months because my Honestly, both my parents have unfortunately had some health issues going here as of late, but both are continuing to do much better as well. So I did want to take a brief moment just on on a personal note just to to send some thank yous out to folks at, at Edward Hospital in Naperville, folks at Good Samaritan Hospital, at, at Silver Cross. I mean, there's been a variety of at even at Bolenberg Hospital. Some things went well, some things didn't go so well at some of these facilities, but as as much as as far as what's been allowable within the rules, as much as I've been allowed to be in there uh, with my folks as we've been going through some things as of late, I, I continue to be astounded by the way that folks in that industry, folks in the medical field, what what they do in taking care of other people's family members. And, and if you're someone out there who even in the midst of the pandemic from 2020, if you've been able to avoid having any like major health complications for yourself or for family members that's outstanding anytime but especially with where we're at right now where most medical facilities still have restrictions or just flat out don't allow visitors in when they have patients in the hospital and so you're you're entrusting your family members and myself and my siblings and my other loved ones we've been going through that and having to entrust uh, our parents at various times off and on here in recent months to medical facilities, to hospitals, and uh, the the facilities I named there have been have, have done such wonderful work. And every time that I've been there and and been able to interact with them in person and over the phone, it reminds me how I am not someone who I don't feel capable of doing that. You know, like it just where where you you are responsible for caretaking for other people, for caring for folks who are in medical emergencies quite frequently when you're working in those hospitals and then you have the additional restrictions that are associated with where we're at as a society right now. And then you have like people like me who are going to continue to call and continue to ask a million questions and continue to follow up and, and make sure that you're on top of your job when you spent decades in school to figure out how to do this. And so you deal with folks like me and also you deal with your patients who are in distress and who are uncomfortable and who are afraid and all these other things. So folks who, who work on, you know, we didn't necessarily always think of the medical industry as the front lines until the pandemic hit us last year. We thought of, you know, I, I suppose, you know, first responders more as as kind of how we would think of the, the heroic nature of what happens for jobs that a lot of us don't have the, the willingness to do, don't have the metal to, to do, don't have the, the studying, you know, that we that would be required to do those jobs at a high level and the education associated with it. But those folks, as much as... uh as much as myself and some others I care about have had to deal with people in those fields as of late. And I know I, I list off a few hospitals just that myself and my family have dealt with recently, but just really to all of you out there in the medical industry, doctors and nurses and, and, and physical therapists, and you name it, just for, for what you're able to do in caring for other people's family members, I salute you. And I, I really, really uh, just thank you to, everyone out there who works in those fields because it is it is infinitely even more difficult 
for what was already a difficult task, a difficult job that you have, but then you have the separation that patients have from their families that just make it that much more stressful for everyone involved in it. And folks are still out there getting it done in, in the midst of what at times can feel like sort of insurmountable odds. So thank you to all you folks out there who have not only played a, a role in myself and my family and you know, get my folks back home, but just on a daily basis, fight the battles that you fight. So uh, I certainly just from from myself and I'm sure that here's others here at the score uh, would certainly salute those of you out there who do that type of work, because it has certainly meant a lot to myself and my family and, and my parents here as of late. There's one thing I wanted to pay off that I referenced earlier in the midst of some White Sox discussion and in kind of the, the middle chunk of the hours I get with you here. We started talking a lot of White Sox in detail. I referenced that, uh, that, that uh, uh, David Haw and Bruce Levine uh, yesterday on Inside the Clubhouse, uh, they had Chris Getz on the show yesterday from the White Sox, and they were talking about to him specifically about the Eloy injury and I, I I gave my thoughts just on, on Eloy in general, where he's at in his career and, and how much of this really perhaps, and I even posed the question to Scott Mergen of basically who's at fault? Is, is this a, more of a Sox issue? Is this more of a Jimenez issue? How do we get to this point? And I was listening to, uh, to David and Bruce talking to Chris about this yesterday, and I wanted to, wanted to let you guys hear a little bit of it because I thought specifically from a White Sox perspective, some of the ways that they're certainly fully aware and willing to admit where Eloy has been at from an injury perspective, and I, I found this pretty interesting, so let's check it out. Well, you know, every, every injury needs to be assessed, and, and certainly some guys get injured more than others, um, unfortunately, and uh, you know, now every injury is caused by, uh, you know, something different in the field. Um, now, you know, you got to look at the preparation. You know, what, what is this guy, what, what is this player doing, uh, you know, whether it be off-season training uh, or it could be in-season pregame training. What, what, what does he put into his body? What are his workouts looking like? Um, there, there's, there, there's a workload management component to all of these types. Listen, do some guys uh, – unfortunately tend to to get hurt more than others um you know and and you know with, with Eloy there, there's been some freak uh freak things that have happened in the outfield uh or, or just on the baseball field and then there's there, there's some that perhaps were a little bit more controllable I, certainly the controllable ones are, are are more frustrating than the other ones even though they're they're both frustrating um you know as a player gets more experience uh in a new position playing in the big leagues uh, just playing baseball in general, you know, awareness on the field, uh, you, you hope can continue to grow. And, and all of a sudden you've got a sense of, you know, where the wall is over here, or where, uh, where the center fielder is, or where the third baseman and, and shortstop, if there's a, a shallow uh, fly ball, those types of things. And then, you know, communication. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons why there could be a breakdown, you know, in, in a play on a field, we assess it. Um, you know, this one right now, we're still digesting. Uh, now we, we need to put, be able to put together the best team moving forward with, with losing, losing an Eloy Jimenez. But uh, we'll, we'll continue to, uh, to, to work on uh, addressing those issues with Eloy, of course. But at this point, um, we've got to focus on, on putting the best 26-man roster together that we can. At the voice of Chris Getz. The uh, White Sox director of player development, slash, he even got the assistant general manager title as well. And uh, that was him on Inside the Clubhouse yesterday with David Haw 
and Bruce Levine. And I, I think, you know, he's able to address it, obviously, from his background as a player as well. So, you know, he can really speak to it not just as, you know, as a suit, but as someone who knows, who's been around where Eloy is at in the process right now and, and how they as an organization can continue to support his improvement, the improvements that he steadily needs to make. But I did think it was noteworthy that he was willing to use the word frustration, that, that it is. It's frustrating in a variety of ways for the Sox to not only have one of their best young hitters be in a position where he has frequently had to miss games over and over again in dealing with injuries, but then you also have the additional element of some of these injuries are just really avoidable. You know, I mean, he's just on the field, in the outfield, running into teammates over and over again. Or he's tracking balls down the third baseline and he's rolling into the fences over and over again. These are things that you don't want your, your young star player to be in a position to, to have done frequently over and over again. And he continues to be in those positions. But like I talked about, and, and I reiterated even with, with uh, Scott Merkin on the line, there are certainly signs of how he's improving there the calculus for the White Sox at whatever point he does get healthy, which is going to be at least five to six months away from what we're being told. But at whatever point he is healthy, then to either determine that they're putting their foot down, that he is done in the outfield, or you're continuing to expose him to, to himself, you know, to his own personal risk that he is putting himself in in these moments on the field, but they see him on a daily basis. They're watching him improve. They know the work that he's putting into it. So that's where the motivation from the team's perspective comes from. Because like Merck said, they're a better squad when Eloy can play the outfield where he, where he can at least exist out there where they can get by with it. What's the risk reward calculus of that? Are you better served just putting him at DH and just hoping that everyone around him can fill in the outfield? I think at least to have him perhaps majority of the time at DH, but then spending, you know, if it's two-thirds of his time is at DH and a third is in the outfield or three-quarters at DH and one quarter in the outfield, something like that, where he can still give you spot duty in left field. And maybe, just maybe, that puts him in a better position where he's not as at risk to injury. But then, like I referenced earlier, that still doesn't stop him from awkwardly trying to slide into home plate and hurting his foot like he did before the playoffs began last year so there's no guarantees in any of this but the risk reward is the calculus that the White Sox will will continue to have to figure out and I don't anticipate that we'll hear anything from the Sox anytime soon about that about how they will decide that I'm sure there will be discussions that have to take place specifically with Aloy Jimenez as well in in how how much urgency how much you know agency he still feels about being in left field and What's Andrew Vaughn looking like? Is he a guy you feel you can put out there on a regular basis? Or Angle or Eaton? Are, are you, one of those individuals going to be someone you can move over there and feel good about where they're at in left field and still just kind of piecemeal the rest of the outfield together around Luis Robert? Overall, Sox are still going to be fine. I mean, they, they are just rife with talent, top to bottom. They've even increased what, what they have from a starting pitching perspective. And like I was talking about earlier, man, Michael Kopech, was was roundly thought of as one of the most talented pitchers of this generation. And then, yes, he misses two seasons. He's recovering from, from Tommy John, and then he opts out with COVID, and he's got the things going on with his family life and everything else. But the talents are still there, and he's continuing to learn to be a pitcher as opposed to just a hurler, a flamethrower. So at some point, I would anticipate Michael Kopech will continue to get out there and show those talents 
And then you're going to have that individual entering your rotation as a starter as well. But they're in a position where they're so deep and talented, they don't even have to rush Michael Kopech. So, I mean, the the Sox are going to be fine. It's just unfortunate that Aloy Jimenez isn't going to be a part of that discussion. I'm going to take my final time out, man. We are closing in on four hours that I've been spending here with you. And also, just as a preview, Michigan, the final Big Ten team that remains, they are in a position right now. We're at 4 o'clock. We anticipate seeing them. Well, not anticipate. They're going to be taking on the Florida State Seminoles. So Michigan is in the Sweet 16. They're the last Big Ten team standing. So I know many of you who may hear me on Big Ten Radio. I'll give you a quick uh, quick breakdown on that Michigan versus Florida State game, what I expect to see there from Chicago's very own Juwan Howard. And also, sounds like the Indiana Hoosiers, who I've been referencing earlier in the Porter Moser discussion, there's some news that's out right now that may suit Loyola fans. It may suit your fancy a little bit on why your coach may be sticking around. A couple of things to cover as we get ready to close in on the top of the hour. We'll do that next year. A little more to go. I'm Anthony Heron. This is Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. So you can get a good solid track. And remember, Watford is out there with four fouls for LSU. They break the press. Wagner the other way. Franz will pump you up. Michigan by 10. First time in school history, Michigan is in the Sweet 16 for the fourth consecutive tournament. <laughs> oh, that's my guy, Andrew Catalan, on the call. With Steve Lapis, they were on CBS calling the game uh, when Michigan was in, I guess, the round of 32 it was. Franz Wagner with the stuff. And then uh, uh, Andrew, who I've called some games with on CBS in the past, called some arena football games with him on CBS in the past. And the Franz will pump you up line. When I heard that, I immediately texted him and let him know. As, as an old Saturday Night Live fan like I am, I did get the joke, and I appreciated it. And you know he was just waiting on it the whole time, just waiting for Wagner to do something exciting so he could go with the Franz will pump you up. And he did there. But like I referenced uh, before the break there, the Chicago win to Chicago wins Juwan Howard, who who had a little smoke uh, for, for Mark Turgeon, the Maryland coach. And immediately after the game, when folks asked Juwan why he wanted to get a hold of Mark Turgeon, and Juwan said, hey, I'm from Chicago. <laughs> That's how we roll. Mark Turgeon had some words, one of some speaks with, uh, with Juwan, and Juwan had to be held back by several individuals uh, before he could get his hands, uh, I, I suppose, perhaps around at least the collar, if not worse, from <laughs> Mark Turgeon. But at this point, Michigan is the last Big Ten team standing where there were nine, a, a conference record, nine Big Ten teams made the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And Michigan was the only one that got out of the first weekend. This matchup is going to start in a few minutes uh, between Michigan and Florida State is an intriguing one because there is a relationship between the coaches as well. Juwan Howard played in the NBA for Leonard Hamilton, who at this point, uh, I'm, I'm glad that it becomes a pretty consistent discussion uh, around Florida State and Leonard, Leonard Hamilton, how on earth he is 72 years old and looks like he does. I mean, because he is a, a marvelous looking older man for 72 and you would not think he is the age that he is. But Leonard Hamilton coached Juwan Howard in the NBA. Juwan Howard, now the reigning Big Ten coach of the year in the running for national coach of the year for the Michigan Wolverines. He has what is right now a somewhat battered roster that he's gotten to the Sweet 16 because of the way they were able to 
finish the game against LSU in the round of 32. So at this point, I mean, you know, where Michigan lost Isaiah Livers, their best player, to a stress fracture during the Big Ten tournament. So they're without him. So any of you folks who may have still filled out your brackets with Michigan as the one seed and just anticipated that you would see the Wolverines doing great things, I think there's still potential for that. But the road is a little bit longer in this particular game because Florida State is a really rugged team that that plays some dogged defense. They got a lot of length and with some athleticism, but it's going to be a different pace, a different tempo than what you saw between, for those of you who watched Michigan face LSU, where Michigan did get to the point where they, they did have to, they took the tempo down a little bit for certain stretches of the game and got LSU into the half court, but then they started to first tor- tur- force turnovers. Michigan has been one of the most efficient teams in the country on each end of the court, both offensively and defensively. Problem is, with no Isaiah Livers, or who I refer to as Isaiah D. Livers, with him being out of the game, uh, with, no, with the stress fracture, they're saying he's out indefinitely. A lot of folks who are closer to this situation there than I am are anticipating that means he's out for the season. He's going to be a, a well-regarded NBA draft prospect. So between Livers, Juwan Howard, everyone else uh, involved with the decision-making there, I don't get the impression they're going to want to try to force the young man into a, a scenario where where he's got to play through some foot injury that could you know, hurt his NBA draft prospects. But when Isaiah Livers has been in the lineup for Michigan, they've been spectacular over the last two seasons. When he's been out of the lineup over the last two seasons, they're a 500 ball club. And really, I think just got over 500 with these two NCAA tournament wins that they were able to get without Isaiah Livers. But Michigan is a, a lineup that in a lot of ways in a basketball program here early in Jawad Howard's time, only a second season, as the head man of Michigan, and we didn't get to see what they were going to look like last tournament because there was no last tournament. So this is the first time we're really getting to evaluate how Juwan Howard handles NCAA tournament pressures. And so far, the returns are, are very, very impressive for what they've been able to, to get done with Juwan Howard and make happen. But one thing, uh, Sean Anderson, that I have I've neglected asking you about because I was talking early in the show about brackets, and I'm not an individual who fills out. I don't fill out any brackets, let alone many brackets. Like I know some folks get into double digits with all their different brackets. How many brackets uh, do you tend to fill out around tournament time, Sean? I usually am a, a psychopath and fill out about 25, but this year I, I cooled it down. I only did four. Really? Yeah. Now, is this because you're just busier now, because you're growing up, because you don't want to throw away money in a bunch of brackets? What made you settle down this time? Well, you, usually there's just the, the limit on ESPN for the free ones to make is like 25, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not paying anybody money. Uh, no, but this year it just it just was more, I think it's tough that there wasn't a tournament last year, so I wasn't too excited about it, and then also it's just too busy. You know, I, I have yeah. work now, and I'm not a college kid that has, you know, seven hours of free time to sit in this uh, house and fill out brackets. Yeah, seems fair. Seems fair. Uh, so for Michigan, this Florida State game will be quite a test for them. And like I've referenced, because Isaiah Livers, their their efficiency on each end of the court is is negated a bit. But through a couple of tournament games and especially a really athletic LSU team that they faced who LSU isn't great in the half court, so Michigan got them in the half court. Then they started to turn them over, and Michigan became, became the team that got out into the full court and had some of those finishes and flushes like you heard Andrew Catalan making his Saturday Night Live pun about Franz pumping you up, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So um, 
good luck to to Michigan, to Chicago's very own Juwan Howard on that. Keep your eye on on a couple of individuals I suppose I would have you highlight in that matchup. If you haven't watched Michigan closely this season, they've had a couple of transfer players who've added to the program here as of late. Mike Smith is a transfer point guard from the Ivy League. He took over for Xavier Simpson from last season. Xavier Simpson was an all-Big Ten caliber point guard. Mike Smith has actually performed even better than Xavier Simpson in a lot of ways, certainly statistically this year. And also another transfer player who lit it up against LSU the other night, Shondi Brown, who doesn't even start. Uh, but he's also a player that transferred into the program with the Wolverines. And he's a guy who, if you remember like Lance Stevenson, the, the weirdo who was like blowing in LeBron James's ear that time during a timeout in an NBA game. Shondi Brown has kind of a Lance Stevenson flair to him because he's really, he's an intense player. He doesn't mind jaw jacking a little bit on the court, but he can also got like give you surprising offensive outbursts. And he did that against LSU where he hit a bunch of three-pointers and was part of the, the offensive flourish that Michigan went on in that game. But I would say without Livers in the lineup, probably their key player who's been getting into foul trouble in the first couple of rounds here is Hunter Dickinson. And so for Florida State, because they have so many big bodies, they've got several really long frames that they can throw at Hunter Dickinson on the interior, pay attention to Hunter Dickinson and foul problems because he was the Big Ten freshman of the year. Now, he's 20 years old and he's a freshman. Like I was 17 as a freshman in college. So being 20 and being freshman of the year, Take that for what it's worth. But eligibility-wise, he's a freshman, but a really, really outstanding player. Seven foot one, great touch around the rim, really quick twitch guy, great post moves, all those things. But this particular matchup, he's going to face a team that can throw as many big bodies at him in Florida State as anyone he's seen the entire season, probably aside from Michigan State maybe, as far as just throwing big physical bodies at him. So that'll be a really key matchup. When Dixon on the court, Michigan can do a lot of things offensively and defensively with him being a shot adjuster. Not like a dominant shot blocker, but certainly a shot adjuster because he doesn't overdo it. He doesn't overreact when people make post moves. He's got a long frame, long arms. He, he forces people to adjust their shots. So really pay attention to that if they get Hunter Dickinson in foul trouble from the Seminoles' perspective. And with no livers, the best NBA draft prospect on the court is the younger brother of Mo Wagner. Moritz Wagner, who we thought briefly within the midst of the three-team trade, like he was briefly with the Bulls, and then now he's in Boston with the Celtics. It's like, oh, I'm going to get to cover Mo Wagner again. Nope, he moved on. He's out in Boston now. But his younger brother, Franz Wagner, is probably the best, the best NBA draft prospect who's going to be on the court for the Wolverines with no livers on the court for them right now. So, so I got my Big Ten ties, got my Big Ten coverage, and I know we always have Big Ten fans listening here on the score. We just don't talk as much Big Ten sportage as I would normally like to. So I wanted to take the last few minutes of the show here and get into some of that for you in anticipation of just a few minutes from now. Michigan will try to maintain their, their flag as the final Big Ten team remaining, so we will see what they're able to do against Florida State. But Chicago's very own Juwan Howard. If you got a rooting interest for that one, if you don't watch any college hoops, Chicago went out there leading the way for the Wolverines, former member of the Fab Five. I, I think that actually might that might make for a nice pun, a little parallel, because I think we had five guests on the show, and they were all fabulous. My thanks to Hub Arkish, of our friend at The Score. He was with me early, as well as Steve Greenberg, Caitlin Sharkey, Scott Merkin, and we're a famous Tony Gill. Thanks to all the guests who were on the show with me today discussing everything under the sun. Thanks to you out there for listening in, for chiming in on the text line and on the phone. Well, 
Not on the phone lines. Didn't get any calls. But on the social media as well where I'm at Big and Heron. Thanks to Sean Anderson for leading the way on the other side of the glass. I will uh, I will be with you again sometime soon. I believe uh, an evening coming up this week. I'll make sure to tweet that out at Big Ant Heron when I know for sure my next time I'm going to be on the score. But it is good to be back. It is good to have a bunch of hair in my head. But that will probably get shaved pretty soon. Uh, so anybody who follows me on social media, you can check that out and see what I look like with a bunch of hair in my head. I haven't had this much since probably middle school. I don't see it lasting much longer, but the wife really likes it for whatever reason. But that is all that we have for this Sunday edition. I'm Anthony Heron. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.